welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time to check it out. I realized looking at myself, I, I think I need a haircut, maybe a facial hair trim. Um, obviously, uh, I've had a lot of musicians on this show, but uh, I've also had a lot of comedians, uh, 21, I think. And uh, I had a lot of comedians on early in the show, and I think comedians are a lot of fun now uh, because it's so much easier to have a good interview with Zoom. And I also, now that I have so many more episodes under my belt, I think I feel more comfortable and at ease, which uh, makes them more at ease and then able to be funnier. And I think for those reasons, uh, this is a great episode with my guest today, Nick Hoff, comedian, really funny and talented guy. He's done a lot of great stuff, including uh, going on tour with Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy as the opener. And he's also done some big commercials for BMW, Amazon, and Wendy's. And I first heard him on Sirius, and I thought, I gotta get this guy in my show. And uh, we had to postpone it because of COVID. I, I think I was actually originally going to go see his show a year ago. And uh, finally, I just decided, you know, what, let's just do it on Zoom. And uh, it was a really fun interview. It was fun hearing his story about growing up in Nebraska and doing stand-up and then working with Peter Fairley, one of the Fairley brothers, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, he's a legend. So he's got great stories. I laughed a lot. And you probably will, too. Enjoy it. Welcome, comedian actor writer extraordinaire nick hoff how you doing <laughs> just just my writing is extraordinary everything, everything else is, is very ordinary no did i say that wrong <laughs> extraordinary no, is not the true, thing you say the, at the I, end i don't know i screwed that up no if, if you yes apply extraordinary to everything it just yes. came out like your actor comedian writer extraordinaire oh. <laughs> Right. It just in my head, I was like, no, oh, that's the one. I thought it was like you say extraordinaire at the end, like like more than maybe I don't know what that means. Maybe I've always just no, repeated that and never knew what that you meant. You used it correctly. Okay. I just I, I divvied it up in my head as the extraordinaire was only applied to the writing, which in my mind, if I would say do comedian extraordinaire, uh, sure. actor, writer, father, and then like husband mediocre husband <laughs> like, it, it, it peters off it peters off it. okay <laughs> so this is interesting i love your uh I th I don't, you must have wrote this on your bio it says like born and raised on the rough streets of nebraska and then in parentheses it says gravel roads <laughs> right right well so many people had these you know kick-ass <laughs> intros that yeah. you know made them sound hard and tough and i was like the rough streets and people who knew me were like these aren't rough streets They're like well they were gravelly yeah. take it easy literally <laughs> rough have you ever fallen on gravel? It's not great. Oh, all right. that's, that hurts. So Hastings, Nebraska. So all I know is that you said that's where Kool-Aid was invented, the guy. And they have they have a parade and they have a, they have a museum for Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. Well, it's attached to the the whole museum. They have their own like. Oh, section. OK. The Kool-Aid Museum is in the Hastings Museum, but it's it's got its own like wing. Huh. I don't know if it's the wing. It's like a sectioned off part, but it's pretty big. They've got all this old like, you know, advertisements from back when it first came out and all this. You think the lady saying this, this meeting is being recorded right now is creepy. Go back and look at some of those sugary ads from back in the day. It's like this creepy man, like handing a kid a little Dixie cup full of sugary liquid. You're like, drink this. You're yeah, like, my okay. parents would never let me drink Kool-Aid. Did your parents let you drink it? occasionally it felt like like the first day of summer type thing it was like mom would bring home the packets and we'd mix it up and then we wouldn't see it again until like the end of summer okay yeah my parents we had, we had our fridge stocked full of caffeine free diet coke that was our special treat as 
You got oh, so <laughs> diet and caffeine. Yeah, free. they took both things out. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I feel bad for you. <laughs> well, so at least my parents let me watch some pretty. You know, they let me some, watch some R-rated movies and and TV shows and stuff. Some things they hated. What about? Did your parents let you watch whatever you want? What did you watch growing up? Because you're a little younger than me, but we're about the same generation. No, we. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my parents were on the stricter side. Uh, of what I could watch and we didn't have we didn't have cable growing up so we had the three channels you mm. you know maybe you'd watch something on Saturday morning but aside from that finding something you wanted to watch not that easy um, so and, and in terms of movies you know I don't know it, it was a while before they allowed R but I remember going to stay with my grandparents when I was really little I was probably five years old and I went we went to the video store and I picked out Jaws because I had heard about Jaws. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, let's rent this one. And she's like, you can see this? I was like, yeah, I can see that. Fine. And I watched it, and it terrified me. And to this day, I don't go into the ocean because I'm scared to death of sharks. You still don't go into the ocean at all? Still to this day. I will go up, like, at most, unless I'm, like, in some kind of, like, on vacation or something, and everybody's going snorkeling, which has only happened, like, twice in my life. Then I go in. Uh, but the whole time my head's on a swivel, just looking for the beast coming out of the shadows. But now, like I live in Southern California, yeah. we'll go to the beach. I'll like get in ankle deep. And then on a rare occasion, I'll go waist deep. But the entire time I'm in there, I'm certain that I'm going to be bitten in half. That's yeah. I mean, the entire time. That, that shows how crazy that movie is. I remember as a kid, we lived on a lake, freshwater lake. And yeah. I would be looking like. When I would be like, oh, you know, yeah. skiing and stuff. And then like you wipe out and then you're just sitting in the water waiting for the boat to come back. And you're like, just you're scared. I'm like, there, this is a freshwater bleak. lake. There's no possibility of a shark in here, but something about it. Well, it's the it's the unknown, right? It's yeah. what you can't see and your imagination goes crazy. And that's what made that movie so good. Because if you read stories about it and watch the documentary, the shark, the underwater mechanical shark didn't work mm -hmm. for like 95% of the time. So they wanted it right. in the movie way more, but it just was broken. So then they had to use, you know, just people's imagination and yeah. showing the buoys and using the music. The da, da, showing da, the da, leg, da. the leg cut off, dropping, uh, bleeding. Yeah, yeah. Just implications Creepy. of the shark was almost scarier than seeing the shark. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, just you're sitting in that lake and you're you're just floating there. You're waiting for the boat to turn around, come back and get you. And the whole time you're just like. I wonder what's what's swimming around my ankles right, right. now. Right, right. But so besides like scary movies, I mean, what were the funny stuff? Because obviously you're you're a comedian, so there must have been some funny things that you saw TV shows or movies or stand ups at that age that inspired you. Because you started writing jokes in junior high. Yes. Um, okay. So funny stuff growing up was. I mean, I fell in love with Seinfeld. Um, mm -hmm. at, you know, at a fairly young age when I realized that that the comedy was something you could do for a living, like up till that point, I just thought these stand up things that I'm hearing, that's just, that's otherworldly. I don't even know what's going on here. But then once Seinfeld came out, I was like, oh, that's a job. So watching that on TV was, uh, was really inspirational and kind of life changing. Uh, the movies that I liked growing up, I mean, Ace Ventura. Uh, yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Great movies. Um, and my friend Ryan Bauer, you talk about watching movies that I wasn't allowed to watch. I go to Ryan Bauer's house. He had all the movies that we were not allowed to watch. So there's where we're getting the uh, 
<laughs> the graphic sexual content that we were all <laughs> looking for. Um, Especially at that age. And- That's like so important. That was be pre-internet. You're fifth and sixth grade. Yeah, you're not finding this. You can't download it on Amazon. It's like some you and you can't rent it at the video store because they won't rent it to a kid. Right. But his dad owns some of these movies. And so he'd watch, you know, all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Ah. We're watching uh, Basic Instinct. We're watching uh, the Porky's movies, which I don't know if you've seen those. Oh, yeah. Those are just like softcore, basically. Right. I mean, there's nudity in it. Yeah, it's not. I don't think there's a lot of sex, but there's nudity. Yeah, there's a lot of nudity. Implied sex. Right. And, and so, as a kid, you're watching this, and it's and it's funny. It's a comedy too. Yeah. It's you know, essentially, you know, a modern day raunchy comedy. That's what it was back then. But it was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that. You can't even make laughing. those movies now, though, huh? I haven't seen like a raunchy. Com- I was asking people this the other day. What's the last? really funny movie that you've seen. And, and I think the most recent thing I, I saw was like 2015. What was that? Uh, I can't even remember, but there was a lot of stuff from like 2008, like wedding crashers and like anchorman and that kind of well, stuff. They're making another wedding crasher. Okay. But sequels of another wedding crasher, uh, but yeah, you wonder how much they're going to get away <laughs> with, uh, you know, now, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Borat came out with another movie. That's that true. Was, yeah. You know, that had some, had some things in it. Had some things. I feel yeah. like you can, you just have to be a little more careful. Like I've, <clears throat> I'm going to get canceled 1100 so? times before my career's over for sure. Mm. And it's going to be a misunderstanding. That's what it's going to be. I don't think because, your stuff's like super raunchy or anything though. No, it's not, but it's, it's a misunderstanding. It's going to be a misunderstanding. I, yeah. I, I get in trouble, you know, a couple times every year for saying something that like my head's going this way, but somebody else reads it going the other way. And boy, they get pissed. And you're like, well, I didn't mean it that way. Didn't you, know, you, I, I yeah, think, didn't you tell some story about how <laughs> there was like some guy in a wheelchair and he was kind of heckling you. And so you said oh, you made yeah. some joke and then you felt really bad about it, though. I do feel bad. <laughs> I but feel that's bad. The thing. For I feel I like do. it's like people's intent. If they're trying to be mean and trying to be a dick and, you know, trying to be racist, that's different than if you're making a joke and you mean it in a playful, lighthearted way. I mean, you could still hurt someone's feelings, but right, right. I don't know. Most of the people I talk to, the most of the comedians, they're not out there to try to make somebody feel bad. They're out there to make people laugh. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes you hurt people's feelings on accident, but it's on accident. Yeah. And, and Mark Norman said one of the maybe he tweeted out one of my favorite things that I had read recently. He's a very funny comedian. I love you. Yeah, I had him on the show. Nice. Uh, he wrote, it was this quick Twitter uh, exchange where uh, he said something offensive to a, la- to a lady at a show and she came up to him and she said, I want an apology for that. And he said, oh, um, I'm, I'm sorry. And she goes, well, I don't feel like you meant that. And he goes, well, I didn't mean the joke either. Exactly. I saw that I one. Like, yeah, yeah. I follow boom. him. Yeah, that's exactly there right. I'm perfect. paraphrasing that. No, yeah. No, that's exactly. I saw that. That's perfect. So Going back to, to your, your upbringing here, how hard is it um, to live in Nebraska and not like football? Like, you can't avoid it, right? You, you're a Cornhuskers fan if you're anywhere in that whole state, I would assume, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's all that they, that's all we had. That's, we don't have a pro team. We don't have yeah. pro basketball, no major league baseball team. There's no NFL football team. I mean, you can like some of the ones in the surrounding areas, but college football came and everybody was proud of it. Everybody was proud because we were good. 
we were good for so many years. And people, you know, carried that as a badge of honor because that's partly how the rest of the country knew of mm-hmm. Nebraska is, oh, great football team. So Eric Crouch, it, you know, is that what Eric Crouch, Tommy Frazier, all Amon Green, all these great guys from the like, you know, 80s and 90s. And then we haven't been that great lately. But yeah, so I don't know how kids are if they're still, you know, being bred into it like I was, but like that was it on Saturday. That's people were gathering for those games. That was an event. So there's no, is there anything else? Like if I ever, I want to go to Nebraska, I want to go to every state. Is there anything else I should go see if I'm in Nebraska? Maybe not necessarily in Hastings, but in the state, like is there or a certain cuisine or a landmark or anything? Like what is Nebraska known for besides Cornhusker football? Yeah. So there's Cornhusker football and then there's the Sand Hills which I, you, you go either way on that. Like it, it's beautiful scenery, but you can find, I think, beautiful scenery in any state, like, mm-hmm. and often Western Nebraska, there's, you know, some interesting rock formations where Indian tribes used to, there's like, mm. uh, um, chimney rock and stuff where this, this rock has just been worn away. And it's, it probably was used to be like a giant hill, but now it's just this giant thing that looks like a chimney. Hmm. And, um, so there's cool things like that. The food, I don't know, steaks good there, and, and they've got this. Uh, sounds good. They've got a couple of uh, fast food restaurants that are uh, pretty much just Nebraska. One is called Runza, which their sandwich is called a Runza, which is like this uh, pita pocket with uh, meat and cabbage in it. Hmm. Doesn't sound great, but it's pretty good. Okay, and, and you can get it with cheese. You can get it with mushrooms and stuff like that okay. as well. But the original just has meat and cabbage, and then um, and then one of my favorites, which I, I get some resistance on this when I when I talk to people about it uh, that are any older than me. But there's this uh, Mexican fast food place called Amigos, which just I don't know if it's the lowest grade meat that you can get on the market. <laughs> it tastes so good. It tastes so good. Uh, like if they ever upgraded, it would be a downgrade in my mind because really? whatever reason. And anytime I go back, I have to get it because it's, it's the best. It's the best fast food Mexican I've ever had. Like I couldn't even okay. eat Taco Bell for years. Really? Oh, OK, I'll definitely add those to my list if I ever go through there. So so 2001, you graduate high school. Now, had you done, I know you, there was a thing where you were going to do stand up at a talent show, but then like you were, you, you were out of town for a golf trip or something. So did you ever do stand up in Nebraska or had you not done it at this point when you graduated high school? When I graduated high school, I had not done, I did not okay. try stand up comedy, um, in a traditional sense until after I graduated college. Oh, after college. Oh, yep. wow. Yep. I had been writing. But you had started writing high. jokes junior high. Yep. And saved yep, them it up. It was always the dream. What's that? And you saved them up. Like, were you writing stand up? Are you writing like uh, just? I was writing stand up. And okay. to be honest with you, if you went back and looked at it, it's probably just in the voice of either Jerry Seinfeld or Bill Cosby. Like it was that cadence. <laughs> I was using those, okay. like listening to them work, mm-hmm. and then I would just take that cadence and that mind frame, and then put it in and just making jokes about, you know, my high school or making jokes about my hometown or stuff like, you know, things that I had already experienced, but now with Seinfeld's voice. So if you go back and look at it, I'll bet you, even if you read it now, you'd know where to raise your voice. Like what? Can you believe it? (laughs) All these high school teachers. Like it, it, 
it definitely would have been uh, heavily influenced by those two guys. Uh, but yeah, I didn't actually get up. I tried twice in college to get up. Like I made two different inquiries to get up in college, and both of them said, "No, you cannot. You cannot do comedy here." Wait, so this was at Indiana State, Indiana University, University. Indiana. Okay. So in why did you go to Indiana, Indiana instead of uh, Nebraska? So this is also uh, based in stand-up comedy. Uh, I went to I went through junior high and high school with a kid by the name of uh, Ari. Oh, what's his last name? Ari is his name. Okay, and, he's like Madonna and, or Cher or Slash. Right. Or, okay. Right. Why can't I remember his last name? That's oh, fine. damn it. Um, <laughs> and uh, and his older sister went to Indiana University, and I remember her coming back one time and saying, you know, it's interesting they have a stand-up comedy class at Indiana. Oh. And for whatever reason that like went in the back of my head and just stored there. Okay. Like, I, I think I heard that when I was in junior high and I think I like just like filed it away in the back of my mind. And then when it came time to apply, I knew that my dad owned his own business and I knew if I stayed in Nebraska, I was going to end up working for him. Is it the I convenience stores or something? Right? Yeah. Yeah. He owned a chain of Uncle Neil's? Uh, small chain of convenience stores. And and it was a great business, great, you know, great for him, but it's not what I wanted to do. And I knew if I stayed, right. then I would just have, you know, just I would have never left. So I knew I had to get out of the state to just kind of like, you know, tip my finger or my toe into the into the pool, uh, you know, a larger pool. And so and I knew I couldn't say I'm going to college for stand up comedy. I knew I couldn't say that. There was no way my parents were going to pay for me to go and and learn for stand up comedy. That's smart so, that you kept that a secret. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and they knew that's kind of what I wanted to do, but I think it, they thought it was you know that's a that's a pipe dream, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just applied to three schools that had good business schools. I was like, I, I can get a business degree. You know, if stand up comedy doesn't pan out, I can do marketing. I can mm -hmm. do advertising. Whatever. So. Uh, I applied to three different schools that had good business schools and two of them, I applied directly to the business school. And then Indiana, I applied to the school and then later you applied to the business. Okay. school. So I only got into Indiana university The the other oh, two said, okay. no, you cannot come here. What are you crazy? And, uh, so <laughs> my options were extremely limited. Okay. So you get that, uh, degree, the business degree, and then you take a marketing job. Wh is, when did you move to LA? Right after I graduated. So I graduated, okay. you know, like mid May. And then I was in, I was in LA on January or June 1st. So I'm did saying. you have a job lined, lined up in LA as the reason to move there? Or did you move there with nope. a reason to do stand up and then going to get, find a job to pay the bills? Right. Okay. So I came out just cause I was like, I want to do stand up. It was either New York or LA in my mind. Those were sure. the two places. I was like, I'll enjoy the weather more in Los Angeles. I'll go there. And so I had a friend of a friend who said I could sleep on his floor in his living room until I found a job in an apartment. So I moved in with him and there were three of us sleeping in that living room. Wait, you slept so on the floor this... with three people? Yep. 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 So I love these kind had... of stories. <laughs> Dude. It, it... <laughs> You, and yeah, it was you so know, excited. Uh, I didn't care. I was happy. Yeah. You know, I, uh, you, I think you follow Ryan O'Flanagan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know his story like about how he lived with this like seventy-year-old man and like they, they no, shared a bedroom this. and like it's hilarious. Yeah, no, so I love I did these not kind share of their bedroom. Yeah, this guy he they they rented a he rented a room from this older guy and I think they had to I don't know if they shared a mattress. It was something like really sounds really uncomfortable, but he did it for like a year or six months. It was insane. So you're but this sounds almost as crazy. You would 
was it you said two other guys or three other guys? There were two other guys. So there's so three, three of total. us total there. Um and and yeah, we, it, was, it was my buddy and then his his friend from high school owned the place or was renting the place and they each had a bedroom and there was me and two other guys uh in the living room just like in the corner. And it was wild, man, because one of those guys worked nights. So he would like, you know, wake up at 10 p.m. and like come and make himself dinner in the kitchen, which was like five feet from where my head was. <laughs> and so he'd be in there like microwaving okay. something. And I'd kind of ha- half wake up. This was before I found a job. And uh, and then at one point at the night, uh, the guy uh, that I was sleeping on the floor with, he uh his it's what what do they call those rocks that come out of your penis? Oh, uh, um, kidney stone, kidney stone. Yeah. Yeah. Kidney stone. He got kidney stones, but Ooh. he didn't know what it was. And he's just like yelling in the middle of the night, just, <laughs> ah! just yelling and over in pain. And so we had to oh, drive God. him to the emergency oh, room. God. None of us have health insurance. None oh, of us God. have jobs. Of course. Like of course. Going there. We're like, hey, is he dying? It makes sense. If he's dying, yeah. we're living on the floor. Uh, <laughs> it, it would make sense. And then they're like, it's kidney stones. Oh, I was like, God. all right, I'm going back. Oh God. Get some sleep. That sounds so wait, just real quick side note here, because didn't you meet your wife in college? Did you guys yep. not get together until later? Because you're not dating her while you're living on a floor, right? I mean, she's yes, not... I'm dating her, but she still had a year and a half left of school. Oh, OK. So, so you're doing, doing the long, long distance, distance thing. OK. Yeah. And then. OK. Uh, so when did you get the job as the comedy writer for the Life and Style magazine? Was that after you quit? That was just and that was just like uh that was just like I would write the things I could have done that. I, I had another job while I was doing that as well. Mm. So it was just they would have these okay. uh, sections in their magazine that was essentially a roast of, you know, celebrities outfits. And so they would ha- hire comedians to like write, you know, little quips like, oh, it would never be caught dead with that shawl or whatever the hell it was. And you would write a little thing and then they'd print that in the magazine. So I did that for like a year and a half. But I, I had another job in advertising while I was doing sure. that. But so when you moved down there, you had never done stand. So what if you went down there and you tried stand up and you're like, oh, actually, I hate this. I guess you would have just moved back or. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Or figured something else out or d- just done advertising. I was going to be happy doing that. How like, long did I, it take you to like did the first time you do it? Did you I mean, most people bomb the first time they, they do or the first couple times. Right, right. So the first time. I did because it did take me a while to get on stage because I was nervous. I, I, you know, I had held it up on this pedestal for like six years. Uh, well, no, longer than that because in high school, like almost ten years, I had I had had this dream, and so like I was nervous that it would go poorly. Mm-hmm. I was ner- I didn't sure. want to screw it up. So I moved out there June first, two thousand five. I didn't get on stage until November of 2005 because I was terrified. So I would go to comedy things. I would go to the comedy store. I would go to open mics Mm. and I would just sit in the back and watch. And I would just sit back there and like, think about putting my name in the hat, but then never doing it. Did you ever practice like in your mirror bathroom mirror at home or anything? Or no, that always felt stupid to me. (laughs) You hear people doing, doing that or thinking that's what it is. It's just, you can't face yourself and that, situation you kind of walk around and you say it over and over again in your head but you're not like actually imitating and and doing the emotions in the mirror (laughs) i would never be able to look at myself in the mirror doing that okay so Um, the only time you'd actually said the jokes out loud was on stage yes okay yep so you know writing 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 and then so i got a job 
working for a production company that made TV commercials. And hmm. I got an apartment through a friend, like on not even a friend, it's just like apartments.com and roommates.com. And I just found like an apartment and a roommate on those things. And this is the internet's not what it was, not, not yeah. what it is now. Like it was early days internet. So you found a person and like we met up for Subway, met. He was a young guy. He was like going to med school. So, OK, yeah, we'll get a two bedroom place. And and I remember I got a mail. I got a thing in the mail right there. Uh, West Los Angeles College Extension. And I, it just like showed all the like night courses that you could take as an adult. And I flipped through it. And one of them was stand up comedy. And it said it said, you know, like $70 to take the course or whatever. And it said and at the end you do a performance. And I was like, okay, this is, this is going to force my hand. This is going to force me to do it. Yeah. So I signed up for that class. I took it. It was, you know, three blocks from where I lived. So I could walk there and I met some other people that were interested in stand-up comedy. And I was like, okay, that'll be my first performance is the fine, you know, the end of the term performance. And then, and that was my plan. But then I, I, after meeting the other people in the class, we actually went and did a couple shows before that. So my first show was at Otis College of Art and Design in their cafeteria, and it was me and another comic and the guy that was running it. The other comic went first and left, and then the guy introduced me and then went outside and took a phone call. So I'm standing, my first show ever, I'm standing in a cafeteria talking to nobody. Oh, there was no one in the audience? There's zero people in the audience. Occasionally, a kid would like walk past with his backpack and I'd try to engage with them or I would try oh. and look through like the little window where the people were serving food and I'd try to talk oh, to the cooks. That's right. That was it. That's right. Yeah, it's hard it when there's... Rough, but yeah. it wasn't rejection. So it that's didn't true. stop me. Yeah. You know, it was that's like... True. And I was able to say them out loud into a microphone. It's good practice. For sure. That was my first <clears throat> real time okay. doing it was for like half a person for like 30 seconds. Okay. So then you got to start grinding, right? You start doing the open mics. How, how often are you doing the open mics? I, I've heard different stories. I think Mark Norman, he went, he was like going crazy when he was doing open mics in New York. Some people go crazy that I would do. I would do probably four to five mics a week. That's pretty good. That's so damn yeah, four or five a nights a week, I'm going out to do stand up, and I, and I'm with my buddies that I had taken the class with. So there were a handful of us that were really serious about it. Some people were okay. doing it just to like get over their fear of public speaking or whatever, or just thought it'd be fun. They need extra credits or whatever. <clears throat> sure, uh, but that there were uh, there were three other people that were really excited about stand up, and so we just all pile into a car and drive somewhere and go do the open mic. Okay. And we'd give each other notes and like talk about things and have writing sessions together. So it was really a great supportive environment for somebody starting out. Yeah. So when did you meet uh, one of my favorite comedians uh, being from Seattle? I followed this guy forever. Fahim, mm -hmm. my boy, Fahim, you did a video. You're in one of his videos, one of the Lance Kansopoulos ones. And, uh, oh, yeah. and he follows you on Instagram and he, and he's selective with who he follows on Instagram. So you guys must be, or either <laughs> he's a, a big fan of yours or you guys are good friends or both. I think he's both. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's cool. We met really early on. I've been okay. good friends with Fahim for a while. That's awesome. We do a lot of the same shows. Like when oh. he moved down from Seattle, uh, we do a lot of the same shows. And he's got one of my favorite stories of like moving to L.A. or to New York. I guess his last show, and I wasn't there for it. I just hear it uh, through other people, and it's like legend passed down. His last show in Seattle before he moved to Los Angeles when he knew he was moving. 
he went up as this character, like this audacious character, just in sunglasses, like not talking to anybody, like I'm too good for everyone here now. What? I've never heard and, this story. And he just, and he went up and he just was, you know, hoity-toity and talking about how great he was and how he's going to be a big star and they're all nothing. And, and then he like drops the mic at the end of his set. <laughs> and that was his last set in Seattle before he moved to Los Angeles. Wow. That's a cool story. I never heard that. That's amazing. Yeah, man. Fahim's awesome. He's one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Oh, God, like, I know his I Instagram is hilarious. Post. I just shared one of his things. That, did you see the one where he posted about uh, about calling in sick on a mental health day? I didn't see that. Oh, God, check that out. It's hilarious. But um, so anyway, so your comedy starts taking off and you go on tour. And um, at this point now, you're, you and your girlfriend, you get married, you have a newborn. You take your wife and your newborn baby on the, on the road? Oh, yeah. How does that work? <laughs> How else are you going to do it? Yeah, it's like, because uh, my wife was a teacher before okay. we had kids. Oh, so it was in the and summer then? So, or? so yeah, every summer we would go. And even after we started having kids, we would just like pack up in, you know, the beginning of June and I'd have a bunch of shows booked and we'd go see friends and family across the country and I'd be doing shows the whole time. So yeah, it was kind of a no brainer when we had kids. It's like, whatever, just put them in the car, or come with us. Like, That's awesome. And did it did it work out though? Or didn't you say she got kind of mad at you because she's gotta like kind of take care she's of the She's always baby. mad at me. Well- <laughs> she, like, I don't know if that means it didn't work out. <laughs> she she hates my guts. Okay. Don't right. get me wrong. All right, fair enough. Um yeah, I mean, as you do, as you you know, you spend a certain amount of time with someone, and especially because <clears throat> then at night I was going out and getting all this, you know, outward validation with my stand up, you know, getting out there in front of crowds and and uh, and, you know, everybody's laughing. And I come home and she's in, you know, been in the hotel the whole time with a crying, screaming baby. So she had it way harder than me. But do you guys take turns like to then you say, OK, because during the day you you have more time to you know you could take care of the baby she could go to go get a facial or do a girl thing or something right or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, we'll say I that it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know yes I I definitely tried to take my turn and take the kids off her hands whenever I could but it it, it was tough it wasn't and enough she didn't want to be without us yeah. what's up oh it wasn't enough is what she didn't like she wanted you to do more. She's still here. I mean, it was enough. <laughs> it was enough. Isn't okay. that what we're all trying fair to do? Enough, just enough. enough? Yeah, just <laughs> enough. Know? Uh, so I got to tell real quick. I just want to tell you this story. So when I, w- I was a young kid, I remember probably like a teenager. I was at my grandfather's house and I was like really bored. So I started looking through his music collection and it's, you know, it's mostly like grandpa music, but he had this uh, Jeff Foxworthy tape and I asked him, I was like, can I listen to this? I like Jeff Foxworthy. And I put it on. I've never heard my grandfather laugh so hard ever. And uh, what like it seems like Jeff Foxworthy has such a big range of an audience, like from mm-hmm. teenagers to grandfathers. So you get to 2015, they pick you to open for Jeff Foxworthy and Larry, the cable guy. Is it a, yeah. is it a wide range of uh, audience at his shows too? Is it a lot of people? Like, what is it about his appeal that can is so wide? Well, he's, he's fairly clean. So you, you do cast That's a wide true. net with that. That's like true. It, you're not eliminating anybody based on that material. And then with those two guys in particular, you were getting a lot of young audience members because Larry did the cars movies. Mm. So he's picking up a lot of those Pixar fans. I didn't think of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, you'd look out and you'd see, you know, people in their eighties and nineties, and then you'd see kids, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And, um, I think that's why I worked well with them. Cause I'm not a, 
I would say that I'm closer to blue collar, but they feel a little more redneck. Like there's like a redneck appeal and I'm not that, but I am like a family man. I'm kind of like your next door neighbor. So I, I think I fit in without stepping on toes. Yeah. But, so, okay. But so you think that, um, cause they are very popular and I, I don't know, would you say mainstream? Do you feel like that's kind of sometimes I feel like it's almost uncool. The other comedians kind of look at them Is I don't know if that's jealousy or they just, don't think they're funny enough or something, or it seems like a lot of comedians don't like them for some reason. So I think the biggest part of that is probably jealousy. And I've felt that way before about people, you know, it's, they are wildly successful and, and, and they are, they do have mass appeal, which can, can work against you a little bit. You know, if something's too popular, people don't, you know, that's not cool to like something that's so popular, you know, mm-hmm. everybody likes an anti-hero or they want the underdog or something. Um, and it's, there's something about specificity, which we've been able to discover with the internet, you know, people that have a very specific sense of humor or something that tickles you. Like if you watch, if you watch a comedy there's going to be something in that movie probably that uh, just for whatever reason just struck you as hilarious. And maybe not everybody thought that that part was the funniest part, but whatever reason that part just made you die laughing. And if somebody can bring that to you, then you're going to be like a super fan of that one like tiny thing rather than the broad scope of it. Like you can say, yeah, the movie was good, but there was that one part that really stuck with you. And I think that's what people are discovering with comics. They like that. They just tickle them in one specific spot, but it's not mass appeal. Hmm. It's like, you know, a few thousand people, but you can have a career now with just a few thousand fans, like, cause they can find you wherever you are. They, you can access them through podcasts, through, uh, Instagram, through YouTube, TikTok. So you can, yeah, TikTok. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't join TikTok. You gotta I, get on I, there, buddy. I'm so, <clears throat> I'm so pissed at all the social media. They, I just couldn't do another one. Yeah, and so I, 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 I lasted I was, off. Yeah, I was late to the game too. I, I post occasional clips here and there, but yeah. So the thing, my thing is, my theory with that, the the Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable, I feel like they're kind of almost like beginners comedy. Like I, again, I remember loving Jeff Foxworthy as a kid, but it's like the more comedy I consume, the more that I like the really fucking weird shit. Like Ryan O'Flanagan. Mm-hmm. I bet if you've never watched much comedy, you probably watch Ryan O'Flanagan and going, "This is like a little out." But if you watch a lot of comedy. He's like a genius. It's it, I don't know. That's just my theory. What do you think that there's something to that too? Well, so if you take a hundred people in a room and you show them a five minute clip of Jeff Foxworthy, and you showed him a five minute clip of Ryan O'Flanagan, my guess is Jeff is going to have ninety percent of people saying he was funny. Yeah, and Ryan is going to have ten percent of people saying <laughs> he's hilarious. Right. So, so true. And, and the other 90 might be like, ah, yeah. Like, but Ryan can find that 10% segment and just kill for those people. Yeah. Cause I, I, I also think he's a genius. I also think he's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also don't think like if I show him to my parents or to right. a hundred, a room full of hundred people, some people aren't going to get it. Some people mm-hmm. aren't, it's not for them. Right. So I think like Jeff and Larry, they can hit on a on a wide scale they cast mm-hmm. a wide net which is great that's a fantastic skill and then but then equally as valid ryan's gonna hit these people really hard mm-hmm. so it's just about finding yeah. your audience you know yeah 
the the hipsters aren't going to like Jeff and Larry and and the mass appeal people aren't going to like the Rhino Flanagans and and the whoever else you want to Right. Say. But opening for them, I mean, that's got to be such a sweet gig. I see you like flying on a private jet and did you guys do a show where you opened for Eddie Money on tour? What it, is it weird opening for a musician? So that was uh, after their big tour was over. After three and a half years of their big tour, they were doing a what they called a backyard barbecue, which was them and a few bands. And and so I would open up those shows as well. And it, we were playing these giant amphitheaters. So now before we were playing theaters and and stadiums, which was cool, but it was all indoors contained. Mm. Now there's people, you know, there's a beer garden, you know, 30 yards that way there are people buying t-shirts over here this this giant open air thing created its own challenges uh and so i would open up and then i would bring out uh who's the oh man i suck who's the uh uh what was that band fog hat i would bring oh, yeah. out fog hat. fog hat slow ride yeah slow ride uh and i would bring them out and then i'd come out and do some more time and then i would bring out uh jeff he would do some time and then and then Larry would come out and do some time and then uh, they'd bring out either Eddie Money or Marshall Tucker Band was on hmm. some of them. It was it was different and it was wild because they didn't necessarily they had a lot of crossover fans, but some people were there just for the comedy and some people there were just there for right. the music. So it was sure. kind of weird, like because comedy would end and the people that were there just for the comedy. But it's like getting to be nine o'clock at night started like streaming out. And you're kind of like, oh man, this yeah. sounds like this. These you know rock stars are up there doing their thing, but it's not necessarily these people's thing. Oh. And so it was a little strange, but <clears throat> it was cool to see these people that again, especially Foghat, the drummer is the only guy that's right, an original member. That's right. Yeah, I looked at that because I was. Gonna, I think I reached out to him to do my show. I was like curious about their story. Yeah, how is he the only one? Somebody left? needs to get him on. Yeah, because he he's old. He is old and he has been through the ringer, my friend. Yeah. And I remember him talking about, and he was also the nicest, like coolest dude. And, you know, so generous with his time, but he was like, yeah, I'm the only one. He's got an English accent. He's like, I'm the only one here. All my mates left me. Aww. And he's like yelling at the sky, but he's being funny about yeah. it. It wasn't sad. It was, he was kind of funny though. about it. And yeah. I just thought, you know, this dude, he's got the long hair. He just looks like he came straight from Woodstock to there. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have him okay on the show. definitely I'll, i thought i sent him an email i'll double check and see but um anyway so back to you and your story so you do these commercials that's another big besides the larry the cable guy gig and that's a great one too but these commercials that's got to be a good gig too like how long can one commercial pay the bills for best one i ever had went for three years Three years? Three, it was insane. But Was that Miller Lite, Wendy's, Amazon? Or no, what? this was BMW. Oh. It went for three years, and it just, they kept sending the checks, and I was like, all right, you guys keep paying. Was BMW this, has the money, so here I am. Is this a comedic one or serious? Uh, yeah, it was a comedy one. It was a comedy. I'm I'm in the car. I think you can look it up. I think it's, you can find it on YouTube. I couldn't I find any of your commercials. I looked for them. They're weird about it because oh. the second they get posted online, all of a sudden with residuals and things like that, there's like this big, huge question mark. So some get by and some get flagged. It just kind of depends. Okay. Uh, this one was, uh, I was sitting in a BMW car waiting, you know, I'm kind of like talking to myself and all of a sudden this gal gets in the car, you know, in this stunning green dress 
And I look, o- I look over to say something to my wife and I'm like, Hey, did you get the, and I look over and it's not, and I go, you're not my wife. And she goes, I know. And she like cozies into my seat. She's like, going to take this guy that has a nice car. So it was oh. a pretty funny, pretty funny, like a little bit racy of a commercial for yeah. them. But yeah, it was fun. BMW is canceled. Then, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, don't cancel BMW. <laughs> bring the commercial back. Bring that back. Daddy needs yeah. a new pair of shoes. Right. So I read in your bio, it said you were cast by the uh, Farley Brothers and, and Philip Seymour that Hoffman. Was Miller Lite. Yep. Farley Brothers. Oh, well, it's, that was, it's uh, the commercials. Because I couldn't Fairley, find the movies yep. or the TV shows. So no, that's no. commercial. Peter Farrelly cast me for Miller Lite. Oh. And I remember being in the room with him. He's the one that did, you know, Dumb and Dumber. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a legend. Something about Mary. Just like a huge part of my childhood and then all of a sudden the heartbreak the kids callback. that's a good one too have you seen that one yeah 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 dude i've seen them all and it, i mean green book that gets bashed now but oh yeah i love that movie um uh yeah i remember going into the callback and seeing him sitting there and they're like that's peter Farrelly," and i was like oh geez and i like couldn't look at him i was just so i mean i was kind of starstruck the fact that this guy directed some of my favorite movies of all time right and now and so i just like put my head down and just did the thing as funny as i could and i remember i was i was a uh the best man in a wedding and i almost couldn't do the commercial because i was gonna be a best man in a wedding and i remember telling my agent because uh, they're like hold these days i was like i can't I can only do one of those three days because they were filming like three commercials at the same time. It's like, I can only do one of those. Like I'm going to be in a wedding and I can't skip. And she's like, what are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, oh, and like for two days I was in limbo. And then they called and they're like, okay, you got it. They're filming that day. You could do it. <sighs> oh, I was like, oh. That's and scary. Yeah. That one. You're I mean, a good was, man, dude. I don't know. I That's like an ethical dilemma. I, God, I almost want to lean to taking the job. Like that's I such know, a good kid. You are a good no, person, man. No, you're best man. Good. You're buddy. a good guy. You got to do that. So yeah, that's it worked good. out. And then for the Philip Seymour Hoffman one, you know, yeah. rest in peace. That was a weird one because it was just a regional bank. It was, uh, hmm. um, it was just a regional bank commercial for a bank that's like on the East Coast. I had never even heard of it. Okay. Before. And he directed and, it. And. And so I do the original audition, don't think much of it. And I go to the callback and there's no script. And I asked the guy running it and I said, Hey, where's the, where are the sides? And he goes, Oh, there's no script. Um, the director's in there. He just wants to get a feel for you. He just wants to talk to you. Just going to do some improv stuff. He's in there right now. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Go on in. <laughs> oh shit. And like, he said that as he was opening the door and I was like, wait, what? And I look in and he's stand, sitting there on the couch and it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he stands up and comes up to me to shake my hand. He's like, hey, I'm Phil. And right away, I was like, that's not his name. <laughs> yeah, head, it's like, Philip Seymour Hoffman. You Phil. can't you it's can't Phillip. cut it. You can't abbreviate that. And it took me half a second to be like, Phil, Philip. OK, checks out. Because at first I was like, this is a test. He knows you know who he is. Is he testing you saying the mm-hmm. wrong name? Do you call him out right now? But then I was like, Phil, Philip. OK, nope, checks out. <laughs> And um, so you try to play it cool or you fanboy out? Because I think I'd have to like restrain myself from just totally fanboying. I love the scene in Boogie Nights where he's like, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. Like, I love that scene. It's so, oh, one of the greatest actors of all time. I I played it cool. I played it cool. Good for you. And and we did some improv stuff with me and, and the gal that I was auditioning with. And, it, you know, they were laughing and stuff like that. It worked out. He cast me. And then we're shooting downtown L.A. And I, I do it. And he comes over 
he, I, I do one of the takes and he comes over and I'm sitting down at a table and he kind of like looks at the table and kind of mimics what I was doing. And he's looking at it and thinking, and he goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> and he walks away and I was like, wait, no that, direct. Was it good? Was, was it, it no good? Yeah. Well, <laughs> he okay. just like came over and just sort of like did it. He didn't say much. And, uh, but he was, hmm. he was super cool. And, and, uh, yeah, that was that was so weird and random that it was uh, that it was him directing it. That's I, you know, just, crazy. What other? I think he was just trying to get into it. Is there any other uh, like almost roles that you tried out for for big shows or movies or with big big names that you didn't get that had a good tryout process? Um, I mean, in the commercial world. I was I was on the short list for this big uh, like Mach three razor campaign or something that ended up going to Brian Callen and the lady came out, the casting director came out and she's talking. There were only five of us there at the callback. She's like, this is a, such a small group. Like they loved the five of you. One of you is this life changing money is what she said. She's like, this is you know wow take this seriously because this is life-changing money and i was like Ooh. and and then it ended up going to brian calendar who had already been on tv several times in movies and stuff i'm like oh that guy didn't need it yeah wait a minute it's a life-changing for him is he the one that got canceled recently or am i confusing him with someone else they're attempting to cancel him i haven't followed up on it okay. like a year ago he was a he was accused of um uh, I don't even want to get it wrong. It was some Something, some sexual yeah, thing, okay. and he denied it. Oh, I don't know that's where right. it stands yeah, now. Okay. I don't know where it stands now. All right. Well, anyways, um, and then okay, I want to ask you about this. So you said you've never done drugs, or even smoked a cigarette. You you must you right. drink though, right? Yes. Did you have? So what do you tell people? Because being in the comedy world and just being in high school, I don't know about what the drug scene was in Nebraska, but there must, what do you tell people that you know, I don't do drugs or what line, do you have a certain line that you say to people who offer you that? Why? Cause they're disappointed that I'm not a drug addict. Well, I don't know. It's just like, I guess I was too, always too weak. Just be like, Oh, okay. I'll do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like you must've had like strong values or, or something, or did you have a the funny reason, line? Or? The reason I avoid it is because I am weak. Like my, mm -hmm. Uh, the reason I'm strong about not doing it is because I know that if I started smoking weed, that's all I would do. I have got an huh. addictive personality. I would just, I'd be stoned right now. I'd be stoned every <laughs> single day. But you're not an alcoholic, right? So how did you avoid being? I don't know. They, I mean, if I go to a doctor and I mark down how many drinks have you had this week, <laughs> they might go, ah, borderline alcoholism. Uh, What's the, yes. I think it's more than three, three times a week. Then you're an alcoholic. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to? For several years now. Okay. Sign me up. Well, as long as uh, it's as long as you're not like uh, passing out in the streets or something crazy like that. I don't know. I think there's different definitions of that because three drinks for some people might be nothing. Wait, is it three drinks or three nights worth of drinks? Three nights, three or more drinks. I think that's what it. That's what I've always. Yeah, I did that for several years. My grandpa would drink every single night. I think you would only have one or two, but they were martinis and they were basically right. pure booze. So I don't know if oh, I, yeah. yeah. I and mean, that was every single night. That's just enough to take off the edge. Grandpa was just, uh, that, that's a health benefit. He lived into his nineties. So see, he, grandpa's fine. I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. I do have an addictive personality and I just, I knew I couldn't handle that. So hmm. I always just stayed away from it. And cigarettes seem like, like if I'm smoking a cigarette, I might as well smoke a joint. So I just 
Always oh. stayed away from it. Plus, my dad smoked when I was really young. Oh. And he kicked it probably when I was five or six. And I remember that smell and just not not being a fan. Although, I do like the smell of a pipe. Like, I feel like when I turn 78, <laughs> if I make it that far, I'm going to start smoking a okay. pipe. A- just to, like, tell the grandchildren stories. Just... Yeah, at that point, it's like, who cares? I mean, you're gonna, you're probably gonna die soon anyway, so might I as mean, well enjoy those last few years. At that point, go for it. Like seventy-eight, we're not gonna do much damage at the, you know, right? Yeah, no, because it takes like thirty years to get lung cancer, I think. And you ever, you ever smelled that pipe tobacco? Yeah, it smells delicious. I used to work at Kmart, and they would put me down on like aisle nineteen with all the tobacco, and I just sit back there and huff those bags of tobacco. Yeah, tell me the story about how, or tell my, I've already heard the story, but tell the audience of the story about how you got fired from Kmart and you got, you got a I lifetime ban. Or, I didn't, was it I didn't get fired, I quit. But you, they but banned you. to come back again. Is there even any, there's not even any Kmarts left though, right? I, I think as soon as I quit, they started a downhill trajectory mm-hmm. that is just crashing around Walmart's mountain. I think, I think that's what's happening. Um. So I, I worked there. I was 16 and I didn't mind working there, but I didn't want to be there. Like, I, you know, all my friends are out doing sure. other things. I didn't want to sit there and do that. And plus I was making the money was garbage. Like, what was I making? Like five dollars and twenty five cents an hour. And so I I think I talked about this recently. Like you do the math in your head. Anything you bought then was converted into how many hours that cost you it. Oh, at that's depressing. Kmart. Yeah. Right. Like if you bought a CD that was twelve dollars, you're like, that is two and a half hours of my time standing behind that register or, you know, straightening the shelves or something. And so I was the first person to always ask, can I go? Can I like if it got slow? Like if nobody's at my register for like 30 seconds, like, can I check out? Can I go? Like, it feels like we're slow. Can I you guys want to save some cash? I'll get out of here. And uh, and I remember the reason that I, I stopped working there was because we used to have, uh, we used to have, you know, Kmart blue light special or whatever. And they put like this blue sticker on it with the new price. And this lady brought up two pairs of shoes, exact same pair of shoes, just different size. And one of them had the blue light sticker on it. One of them didn't. She goes, I want this shoe at this price. They, you know, she held them up next to it. Whatever. One was like a nine. The other one was like a seven. She's like, I want the good price on my size. Mm -hmm. I said, let me check. And so I went and I asked the manager that was on call and I still know her name and I still see her when I go back home to Nebraska and I still can't really look at her without like, <laughs> hating, hating life. Mm. Um, I went up to her and I said, Hey, uh, I explained the situation. She said, go ahead and give her the good price. I said, okay, sure. And you had to fill out on this like form, like the reason for it. Like I gave this price because of the sticker, blah, blah, blah. And then you run it through the computer and it prints on there. And so I did that like a week later, I get called in and the, and the head manager calls me into his office. He's like, Hey, I want to talk to you about this. Why did you give this person this price? And I said, Oh, it's cause she told me, you know, the manager on duty, she told me to go ahead and give it to him. And he said, well, I talked to her and she said, she told you not to give it to him. And I was like, well, that is a lie. She did. <laughs> like, I asked and she said, yes, that, so she's lying. And he goes, and he was really condescending. He's like, you know why we sell things at certain prices here at Kmart, Nick? Because if we don't <laughs> sell them at a certain price, we don't make money. And I was like, you pile of guard. Like, I didn't say any of this, but in my head, I was like, this piece of shit. Like, how dare you 
be so condescending. I know I'm 16, but yeah, yeah Dick, I know the basic economy <laughs> and how it works. Oh, you don't just try to give things away and lose money. No, kid. Oh, because yeah. I've been just like putting stuff in people's trunks as they leave. I'm like, take it. We've got too many. We have too many. I don't even know why they're here. We've got like 17 of the same item. Seems like too many. Uh, so you know, I was like, yeah, I understand that. And he goes, well, you can't, you can't do things like that. And I go, I, you know what, I. I'm going to just go ahead and not work here anymore. And he goes, Oh, you putting in your two weeks. And I said, you can have two weeks, but I'm not going to show up if you schedule me. Like I'm not nice. going to work with people that are liars. And so he goes, you realize if you do that, you can never work at Kmart again. And I said, okay. <laughs> it's like, that's no kidding. I don't care. Like, mm -hmm. leave me alone. I never want to come back to this place again. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I ever shopped there again. I don't know if I've been in a Kmart since then. I don't think anyone has there. I think they're all gone now. Good. Yeah. Screw them. <laughs> By the way, Kmart, if you try to make a resurgence, I'll totally do a commercial. Ooh, ooh, there you go. Uh, so uh, your favorite your favorite band is Blink-182. Did you ever do you ever get to like uh, uh, like meet them or anything? Do you ever use your like connections and stuff to like get backstage or anything like that? No, I'm trying. Well, I did. I did sneak into the like uh, green room. Uh, Travis Barker, who's the drummer for Blink-182. Yeah. And this is like legendary drummer. Oh yeah. And he's still huge. He might be the biggest part of the band now. Like he's, he's in everybody's music, all these rappers. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that is weird. Up, like does something with Travis. Cause he can do the beat in the back and he's so talented. I think he can just make it up as he goes. Mm -hmm. That's what it seems like he's doing. Um, so good. Uh, he was doing these shows with a guy by the name of DJ AM where the DJ was playing, uh, you know, as DJs do. And then he would play drums to accompany it. Hmm. So they would do all these cool remixes of like songs from the eighties and stuff like that. And I, cause my, one of my friends out here worked uh, like an event planner, like she'd do there. And so she'd put me on the list of all these exclusive things that were happening. So they were playing the opening of this uh, brand new club. And I went, I was like front me and my buddy who I got on the list uh, we're just like standing right up front because I'm a huge fan and we're watching them play and then they get done and I grab his uh, his drumsticks uh, that he just like left there. I was like, those are now mine. And and then we just followed like literally he walked off stage him and DJ AM walked off stage and we just like walked right behind him and security didn't cut us off. We walked right into the green room with them, which had like pool tables and stuff. It was the first time I ever saw a rock star. Like I'd ever seen an energy drink. It was rock star energy drink. I'd never seen one before. I was like, what is this crap? And they had just cases huh. of it back there. And I'm playing pool with his, his wife at the time was, I forget her name. She's like some blonde gal. And, uh, and he offered he offered me weed. They were smoking weed back there, and he's like, "Hey, do you want so some?" So there and I was you like, go. No. And you that still... would have been a good wow. time to try it. See, but that I was like, is no, some... I'm good. Wow, that is that. I gotta respect that though. That you, I mean, I would been so weak. I'd been like, I can't say no to this. This is like my favorite band's drummer wants to smoke weed. Looking back, sometimes I wonder if I had gone down that rabbit hole, right? Yeah. I smoke weed with him. Now I'm talking with him. We get to be good friends. We start a band. He leaves Blink, and now he's just in Hoff 182. And, you know, uh, Hoff I'm in a completely different life. I like that. That's cool. Well, that's awesome. That's a great story. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I'd like to end each episode uh, with a charity. I know you did a pink ribbon comedy tour to raise money for breast cancer research, or is there another uh -huh. charity that is near and dear to your heart that you want to promote here at the end? 
Well, that one was cool because we were raising money uh, for Susan G. Komen, which uh, does breast cancer research. Mm-hmm. But that was 11 years ago, and they haven't cracked that nut yet. So I don't know how much more money we need to be. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like everyone knows about that, too, because they have it on the NFL and everything. And they have it on the NFL. And I just start to wonder, like, are they really trying to cure these things like we cured? We found the you know vaccine for COVID, depending on how you want to feel about that. Like they cracked that in nine months and we can't. We can't like get to the bottom of cancer. And there's that famous Chris Rock bit that's like, they're never going to cure cancer. Like they're going to figure out a way for you to live with it because the money's in the treatment, not in the cure. Which I can't argue with that. There's some truth to that, right? So uh, if you're asking like what charity is like near and dear to my heart, I would say, and uh, you know, it's, 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 I learned about it when I was a kid because my dad started the chapter in Hastings of Habitat for Humanity. Oh, yeah. I think that's a really cool thing. That is cool. They build houses for, you know, people that are struggling financially and it gets people, you know, a solid foundation. You know, all of a sudden they couldn't afford a home, so they're just throwing money away on rent. But all of a sudden it helps them kind of get a leg up. So I think that's a cool, a cool thing. to. That's a great one. I'll put that in the notes along with your website and then everyone can. I think your, your website has all your social media links on there and stuff too, right? Yep, it's got all the cool. links up there. You just go to nickhoff.com. You can click any of those. It's got my tour dates, got a couple of videos on there and links to my podcast as well, which is called The Hoffcast. The Hoffcast. Yeah, I just listened to the one, uh, the comedy myths. That was a good one because uh, I was like, oh, I want to hear what the comedy myths are. Oh, nice. Yeah, I need to listen nice. to more. It's so hard. There, there's so many podcasts out there. I can't listen to like, I, I mean, I love Rogan. I love Howard Stern. I'm like, I can't listen to every episode of every. So I just try to, you know, hit some here and there, but there's so many yeah. great ones. It's amazing. I, th- I think you got to keep four or five that you listen to, you know, like whenever you got a long drive or whenever you listen to your podcast, mm. you got four or five that stay in the rotation. Then you got to have like one or two slots to just try things, right? Mm-hmm. Just like one or two taster slots where you're like, it's an appetizer. Let me see if I can get into this one. Listen to a couple episodes. If it's not for you. Move on. But if it's for you, by the way, even if it's not for you, like still like give it a little five star rating. If you you believe in the person that's doing it, still give it a five star rating. Absolutely. Even if you're not an avid listener, because it helps. Yeah. Stuff helps. No, definitely. And then are you going to be posting more? I mean, I know you obviously weren't able to do many shows in the last year, but now that shows are back, are you going to be posting more clips and stuff? Like I want to see more stand. I I went through your, uh, well, I listened to your whole special on Spotify and then I, I watched a lot of the clips on Instagram. So yeah, I love those little clips. Like I feel like that's the best thing comedians can put out. It is. And I, and I kind of made a mistake cause I was, I was really precious about it because I spent uh, the big part of the last three or four years trying to get late night sets. And so all those things mm. that you were posting, you were like, <clears throat> I can't post it cause then late night won't take you. Oh. So what I started doing and I think I think Fahim kind of does the same thing where you post something that's not necessarily going to become a part of the act. It's not a staple, but it's something fun that happened in a show. So whereas before I was looking for like Hallmark bits to post, mm-hmm. now I'm like looking for more like this was a fun moment in this show that will never be duplicated again. Like I can't it doesn't translate to another show, whether it's a little bit okay. of crowd work or something like that. And so that's kind of fun because I'm going to be recording a new album and special this summer. Oh. So you'll see a lot of clips come out of that. Okay. But it'll be after it's all said and done and nice and polished. Okay. Awesome. And then yeah, I, lo- I checked your uh, tour dates. I didn't see Phoenix on there. Will you be adding tour dates at some point? I, I or? just, I just did Phoenix uh, back you? in March. Yeah. I did stir crazy comedy club oh. in well, it was Glendale. Oh, okay. Shit. I missed it. Fuck. All right. Well, I'll have to next time. I blew I it. 
You can, yeah. Next time. Next, next time. time. I get through there at least once a year. Yeah, no, I was going to see you like a year ago. And that's when I first reached out to you. And I didn't, I saw that it was like in Chandler at a casino. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I didn't know they did. Con-. And then I was like, oh, he's opening for Larry the Cable Guy. Holy shit. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that date got rescheduled. I think because that was during COVID, I think. Okay. I think we're doing that date in Chandler in December. Oh, December wow. 11th, okay. So maybe I'll come happened. see that or Hit if you. Up. If you do Stir Crazy again, that'd be cool. Yeah, because I saw Andrew Slater at Stir Crazy. That's a cool club. It's fun. Stir Crazy, yeah. It's a yeah. small, intimate space. And, and sometimes I do the uh, Tempe Improv there as well. Yeah, that's a great one too. Cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks. And uh, everybody should follow you and uh, catch you on tour. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Nice talking to you, Nice Chuck. talking to you, Nick. See you later. Isn't he funny? I love it when a comedian is actually funny in the interview because it makes my job so much easier. And you can tell by this interview why Larry the Cable Guy and Jeff Foxworthy love this guy because he's just so likable. And I think that's a big part of being a successful comedian. So make sure to check out Nick's website in the show notes and follow the links to his social media or check out his YouTube and his special and his podcast are both on Spotify. Uh, My website is in the show notes as well. You can check out all the links and social media and see some of the other guests I've had on. And some of the comedians we talked about in this interview today, like Mark Norman, Fahim Anwar, Ryan O'Flanagan, they've all been on my show too. So if you want to help support the show, any sort of sharing, liking, commenting on YouTube and the social media, it helps me out a lot. Or if you want to write a positive review, that helps as well. Thank you so much for listening and making it this far into the episode. Hope you have a great day and remember to shoot for the moon.